Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. My name's Stephen. I'm the young adult uh, minister here at East Brainerd. Um, and a few years ago, <coughs> I did a sermon. And I talked about love in this sermon. I talked about all the things that I loved. I talked about nature. Uh, I talked about my dog. I talked about scripture. I also talked about pizza. And I, I remember showing this picture up on the screen and just marveling at it. And I still do. This is from Chicago, which I believe is the superior of pizza. Um, don't get me New York style. Don't give me... I don't know if there's any other style besides New York and Chicago, um, but I love Chicago pizza. Some people call it a pie. It's not a pie. It's pizza. And uh, Craig Phillips, who's working our tech um, up there, um, he, he also is a fan of Chicago pizza. He loves it. Um, and we talked about it afterwards, and you know, he told me about this place in Knoxville that had authentic deep dish pizzas, as close as you can get to Chicago. Um, well, a few weeks ago, he calls me up, and he said, hey, Stephen, I'm actually in Knoxville and I've got a pizza with your name on it. And can we just give it up to Craig? The, the, the overwhelming uh, love and brotherly love that he showed me. The pizza was awesome, but that got me thinking. And I had an idea. So I want to tell you, church, this morning, I love the new Toyota Land Cruiser. Let's get it up there. It, uh, I love the base model, so don't worry. I love the base model. No, no tricky features. It's coming out this spring. I love it, okay? So if you want to, you know, keep me in the back of your head uh, while you're car shopping, you can do that. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, or flip open your smartphone. Uh, we've been in this series uh, that Chris has been leading us through called The Power of One. Uh, we've been talking about the, the, the seemingly what, the small power of just one person um, and the amazing change that God can, can use them for. Uh, we, we've actually also heard from other people in our community. Uh, if you've been here the past couple weeks, I hope you've enjoyed the testimonies of Janice Robertson, of George McCluskey, and my good neighbor Angie uh, Garavati. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Angie. Um, but these, these are people who, um, who, who've seen brokenness, and they've seen injustice, and rather than just sitting there, they, they've, they've done something about it. They've, they've, something that may be small or, or may be so insignificant, but it's turned into these great ministries um, and these great works of Jesus. And, and today's going to be no different. In, in a few moments, we're going to hear from someone else who, who sees and is running towards a group of people um, and doing something about them and sharing the good news um, in, a, in a very unique way. Okay, so in Matthew 8, we're going to be um, specifically in verse 5 through 13 this morning. Some of your um, Bibles may have it titled, The Faith um, of this Centurion. But this whole section, Matthew 8 and 9 specifically, it's, it's filled uh, with all these requests of Jesus. I just want to kind of go through some of you, some of them really briefly. Uh, just before the centurion story, a leper comes and kneels before Jesus, asking him to make him clean. After this story, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, and then it says, Now when it was even, evening, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he expelled the spirits with the word, and he healed all those who were sick, in order that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled, who said, He himself took away our sickness and carried away our diseases. At, then it gets a little strange, because someone comes and asks Jesus if he could bury his father uh, before he intends to follow him, and Jesus says, no, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, and uh, okay. And, and then it gets to uh, one of the famous stories that, that we hear about, this raging storm that Jesus calms, and he saves his disciples uh, from drowning. And then some demons <laughs> ask Jesus, what a strange request, to be cast out into pigs. And then a group of men uh, bring him a paralyzed man, 
to heal. And after all these miracles and doings that Jesus performs, his own people call him a blasphemer. Uh, because why not? And, and then after that, a synagogue leader asks him to raise his daughter from the dead. And then after that, on his way, a, a bleeding woman reaches out um, and touches him to be healed. Chris talked about that uh, last week. And, and after all that, he heals two blind men who call out to him for mercy. And then after that, another demon-possessed man who was mute brought to Jesus and was healed. And at the end of this section, it says that Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. I mean, can you imagine how tired Jesus is from this? I mean, can you imagine people coming up to you constantly asking, can you heal me? Can you heal my friend? Can you heal my disease? Can you cast out this demon? This section of Matthew's gospel are filled with ones. And they see Jesus, and they see him as someone who has power and authority over the needs in their lives. That's, that's kind of simply it. And, and in their desperation, most of them just go to him and, and beg him for help. I mean, how desperate do you have to be to go someone and offer and ask for help from them? And so I want to ask you a question. If Jesus was, was right in here today, physically standing before us, what would you ask him for? What would you ask Jesus for? I mean, uh, I was thinking about this. I mean, some of us would ask to heal a loved one who is ridden with disease. I, I think of my grandmother who's suffering from dementia, and I know a lot of us have family members who are suffering from, from disease and illness. Um, I, think, I think about maybe taking away poverty, poverty and war and famine and corruption, just all the corruption with our leaders and all the countries and all the warmongering that goes on. Well, maybe we would ask Jesus for peace there. Maybe, maybe you just need a better job, right? Maybe I just I want a better job or a better opportunity. Uh, Jesus, I, just, I need to get out of this situation and into another one. But, but let's be honest, some of us might ask for something nicer, like a, a nicer car or, or, or a house, right? Or maybe we need, um, as someone who has uh, three working cylinders out of his four-cylinder car right now, I will confess, I would maybe ask Jesus for a Toyota Land Cruiser. Oh, how'd that get back up there? Okay, I'm done, I'm done. But regardless of what we would ask Jesus for, I I think most of us would respond with something or someone who has needs that are significant to us, if not ourselves, right? We we would think about a brother, we would think about a grandmother, we would think about a, a husband, or we would think about a sister. And so today, I want us to kind of just spend some time in, in this section and look at the, the centurion, and look at this unusual, yet so pure and hearted request to Jesus. So if you would, just, just pray with me before we read. Um, Father, thank you uh, for your word. Will you quiet our minds so that we can hear? Will you open up our hearts, empty them, and fill them with your spirit? Father, may we see you and grow nearer to you by hearing the words, by hearing the the words that your son spoke, and hearing the testimonies about him, God. May we focus just for a few minutes this morning on your divine word. It's your name that we pray, amen. Uh, Let's read Matthew 8, 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my slave lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I I will come and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my own roof. 
but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I, I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the Syrian, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Wow, how, how amazing. Uh, but I'm sure it's just a story that we've all read before, right? We've all heard about the centurion. But, but before we kind of go further, I wanted to kind of just give some uh, facts on what it meant to be a centurion. If you want to pull up this picture, this is maybe what it would look like. Uh, this is the best picture I could find. You know, all the armor uh, and the gold and the feather thing. Um, but, but this is what a centurion was. Uh, apparently that was very, uh, you know, fearful in the first century. A centurion was the highest rank that a non-commissioned soldier could attain in the Roman army. They were in command of a military unit called a century, obviously. In principle, a century contained 100 men, but in practice, the number tended to be closer to 80. They were present in Roman provinces like Judea, as well in the kingdoms that modeled their armies on Rome, such as Galilee. Centurions tended to be the highest level officer to interact with villagers in the Roman East. They would usually move up the ranks from a low soldier to become a centurion. And they were career soldiers, and many considered them to be the backbone of the Roman army. They were soldiers with authority and power over men. So I don't know about you, but suddenly when you read this, with that in mind, there, there are some complexities here. Like this is not just a, a normal, you know, someone who's blind in the streets asking someone something of Jesus, right? I mean, I mean what would it look like? for a Roman centurion to call a Jewish man, a lower man, Lord? What would it mean to prop that person up? This could sacrifice his authority, his power, his social status. What about the animosity that the Jews had for their overlords? I mean, the centurion, this is the symbol of someone who is a symbol of oppression, a beacon of abuse. I mean, we're in the middle of the oppression of the Jewish people in Rome. He was also an outcast, and people didn't like this guy. People didn't like this guy. And, and, and then even to take it a step further, what, this desperation of this centurion to come before this Jew, Jesus, to, to help his slave. I mean, the, the, the care that is invoked here when he says he's paralyzed and suffering terribly. What would this mean for a man in his position to show care for a lowly slave? This is a risky proposition. This is not uh, something that should be uh, easily done by him. Uh, but, but just as risky as it is for the centurion, it's even more risky for Jesus, the Messiah, who at this point is meant to take over the Romans, right? I mean, the, the, the role of the Messiah is to take over and rule on earth. But, but yet, in another pure-hearted example of Jesus' radical love, he, he, he simply answers him, I will come and heal him. Some of your translations may, shall I come and heal him? But more accurately, I will come and heal him. And this healing is sandwiched between two others. You, before this, you have a leper 
uh, during this, you have the Roman and his slave, and then afterwards the older woman. And these are outcasts in society. These are people who are afterthoughts in Jewish life. They're not at the center of attention. One is isolated, the leper doesn't have any friends or family. He's been casted out uh, to to rot away. One is uh, uh, hated and feared by Jewish people. And one is overlooked and insignificant in her older age. Yet just like the leper, and just like Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus here is willing to heal. He's willing to heal those who come to him and are in need of him, regardless of their status, regardless of what they believe, regardless of who they are. That's, that's the story, right? The story is this big bad Roman dude comes to Jesus, and it's this great example of how Jesus wants to heal this guy and, and his slave, and the Roman is this weird request to him about why is a Roman centurion asking to heal uh, a slave from a Jewish person, and, and that's the story. Um, but, but maybe there's something deeper here that Matthew wants to show us. See, um, I, I love this because I think Matthew is trying to put together these, these pieces, um, kind of like a, a stained glass window. If you want to uh, go to that next slide, uh, Craig. There, have you ever seen these? I mean, of course we have. We probably grew up in church and saw them all over the place. I miss them. I wish we had some beautiful uh, stained glass windows. I had some at my home church. But man, this would be wonderful. I mean, look at the detail Look at all the different stories that it's portraying. But that's what Matthew is doing here in this section. Um, he, he's, he's putting together slowly, piece by piece. And he's trying to help lead the reader by the time he's done hearing or reading his gospel. That, that saying Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the one, the Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world. And he gives us another clue in this beautiful mosaic that he's trying to piece together. Because what was so faithful about the centurion that shocks Jesus? I've wondered that question. What, what is it, the faith of the centurion, that shocks Jesus? When he reads about uh, he was amazed, we can also translate this into he was amazed and shocked and, and just taken aback for a minute. And I think it was because in all his authority and all the worldly power that, that this centurion has over Jesus in this moment... He humbles himself, and he shows respect and awe of who Jesus actually is. Because at, th- at this point in the story of, of the story of Jesus, not a lot of people, if, if anyone knows that, that what, who Jesus is. I mean, some, some people think uh, that he's the Messiah, uh, which is true, uh, but a different Messiah. Uh, this is right after the Sermon on the Mount, where he comes down from the mountain, and the people are shocked. Um, it reads, they, they, they are shocked and amazed that this Nazarene could deliver a message with such wisdom. They're shocked by him. Uh, shortly after this story, when Jesus quiets the storm, uh, his own followers are asking each other, what, what, what kind of man is this? The people who have been around him 24-7 at this point, what kind of man is, man is this? And they're shocked and they're even in fear of what he may do next. Of course, the, blasphem- the Pharisees think he's a blasphemer a few verses later. And they even question, like, what, what, what's, your, what's your teacher doing eating with sinners and tax collectors? And so there's not a lot of people who know who Jesus really is at this point. But in a shocking turn of events, it is, it is the non-Israelite. 
It is the Roman centurion who recognizes Jesus before most of his own people do. Jesus is a foreigner to his own people, but to a Roman centurion, he knows and he recognizes Jesus. He, he says these words to Jesus. Lord, I am not worthy. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word and my slave will be healed. Have you ever heard a story in scripture where someone spoke a word and it was so? Have you ever read a story in Scripture where someone spoke a word and it was so? There was no action, no walking, no waving a staff or saying a prayer. He spoke the word and it was so. Oh, man. The centurion is proclaiming that Jesus is God. That he's God incarnate and he believes that all authority and power has been given to Jesus. In fact, it, it, he has the humility to say that he's not even worthy, a centurion versus a Jew, to be in his very own presence. <laughs> it, 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 it's the centurion's heart posture. You with me? It's the centurion's heart posture to say, I, 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 know, I know who you are, Jesus, and I know where I stand with you, Jesus. I don't stand next to you, as some of his followers will request of him later on in the story. I don't stand above you. You're not a tool for me to use. I stand below you, Jesus. I am not worthy, Jesus, for you to come under my roof. It is a story of humility and lowering himself. And, and, and he, he does this in the midst of having authority over Jesus in this world. He has authority over soldiers and men. And authority over him, and he denies himself and rightly puts himself at the feet of Jesus. I ask you, what benefit does a centurion have to heal his slave even? Of course, some of us are probably thinking, well, sure, you know, he'd, he'd lose money. Um, he'd lose a workforce. He'd, he'd lose someone who was working under him, you know. But, but <laughs> I don't think Matthew here is debating uh, fiscal responsibility or slave management. That's not what Matthew is trying to teach us here. He wants to show us that this centurion has compassion for his slave when there's no reason for him to. There's no reason for this centurion to have compassion for his slave, but yet Jesus is amazed by it. Later on, Jesus will say, the kingdom of heaven is, is like a mustard seed. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, something so small. I mean, if I had one, you probably couldn't even see it in front of me. Maybe I do have one. And it's so insignificant, and it's looked past, and it's almost hidden to the naked eye. It's like a mustard seed. It's like a slave who's suffering terribly, and yet his master sees him, and he has compassion. He sees him, and he has compassion. This section will end at the end of, of chapter 9. It, it, when I read this, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. You remember all those healings that I mentioned at the beginning here? We talked about, maybe, I, I can't remember, it was like 10 or 11, just in these two chapters alone. But think about the amount of people who've come to Jesus if you've watched The Chosen before, there's a scene where there's just this long line of people. I think that that's a great portrayal of just waiting in line to be healed. 
Think about how many people who know Jesus can heal come to him for healing. So many. Well, after, well, after all of this, after all those things, this is how Matthew ends this section. And, it's, and this is what Jesus is saying after this section, after all he's done. And Jesus was going around all the towns and the villages, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were weary and dejected like sheep that did not have a shepherd. I just want to read that again and let that soak, soak in. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were weary and dejected like sheep that did not have a shepherd. And that's what the faith of the centurion is all about. Uh, I'd like to invite up here uh, Kevin Lee. Kevin is our modern-day centurion, a former soldier himself. Uh, Kate told me not to make that joke, but I did anyway. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but Kevin is doing something really cool. Aren't you, Kevin? You doing something really cool? Every day. <laughs> Every day, he says. Uh, but, but Kevin um, ha- has seen young people. You can sit, Kevin. Don't, don't worry. Um, I'll sit with you. Uh, Ke- Kevin is someone who has seen young people. And he's seen young people who are in need of something. And, and Kevin knows what it is, right? It's Jesus. Um, and instead of writing them off, instead of seeing their situation to, oh, there's a bunch of lazy young people, you know, they don't know anything, they don't do anything. Like Jesus, like the centurion, he has compassion over them. He has compassion and he has run to the Father and the Father has told him, go and serve them. Go and help partner with me and heal them. And so we're going to talk about that this morning and the cool uh, thing about Archery Club that Kevin has been doing. Yeah, uh, I sent you the question. Archery? Yeah, don't even, Kevin. I, I'm, I'm confused. Did you bring your bow? No, because I thought Chris was going to be up here <laughs> and we were going to talk about missions. No. And the places that I have been with missions. And I even made a special trip to Bucky's on Thursday. Thank you, Kevin. For, for Chris, because I, I knew he was needing of healing. And I, I wrote a prescription Thank you. This, this for be beaver, nuggets beaver nuggets to help exactly, you exactly, with I'm you. I'm going to put them on my eyes. That's gonna be All right, get back up here. <laughs> um, but hey, so Kevin, you run the archery club. And not a lot of people probably know what that is, even though we, we've told them a lot, haven't we? We've asked for help for them, haven't we? But tell us about uh, the history of the archery club and, and why, why archery. <laughs> that, that is weird because uh, <laughs> I got started with archery at Boyd Buchanan School uh, through a seventh grade student named Jordan Rains, who um, brought an article into a class that we were supposed to be studying Wales at the time, but Jordan brought in an article about the Archery in the Schools program. He had to write three sentences. I gave him an A anyway for the project because it was my class. Forgive me. I liked the article. And he asked me if we could get that started at our school. So I went and figured it out and we were doing it. Well, in 2013, Shan Fisher and I were um, asked to teach uh, the Wednesday night Bible class to the fourth and fifth graders during the summer. And we decided that we would use archery 
and a curriculum that we found from a group, uh, Christian group Center Shot, and we used that to teach our Wednesday night Bible class. And it was that fall that I decided that we would need to do that to reach our children and others in our area. So uh, maybe talk about how it's grown uh, into what it's kind of grown into. Because <laughs> it's, it's a little different uh, now these days, isn't it? Yeah, we started off with 12 kids, uh, mainly from the East Brainerd Elementary School. Um, and then uh, Sean helped me get it put onto the website this year. And um, we had 96 slots available to teach on Tuesdays, and in six days, it was full. Wow, yeah. Um, it was sort of like one of those uh, concerts where you blow the uh, internet up. <laughs> yeah, uh, like Taylor it, Swift, right? Taylor Swift, yeah. And so, uh, we didn't have any more room. Yeah. So we moved some folks around and talked to some homeschoolers and prayer, and we've opened up another session yeah. uh, for Tuesday. So as of last night, there's 114 signed up for archery on wow. Tuesday nights. So maybe talk to us about what, what's the goal of the archery club and what, what kind of goes on at a typical meeting? Um, the goal. It's, it's simple. Uh, our motto is believing in our aim. But uh, our goal is just to use the Bible and the life skills that we teach in archery to tell about Jesus and the way. Hmm. Yeah, so tell me what that looks like in a, in a typical meeting. Are y'all just like shooting arrows everywhere? <laughs> no, we're not. Don't, don't, don't put that in there. Um, when the students come in, uh, we have about 10, 15 minutes, uh, depending on uh, uh, how much time that I'm, I'm, I'm using to, to talk about Jesus. And the stories are anywhere from um, love and, 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 and the life of Jesus and, and what that beating and relating that to some of the activities that we're doing in the archery. Uh, this year, uh, we're going to be working on faith, hope, and love, mm. uh, that little triangle, and I teach. Uh, it's not about where the arrow goes. It's about how close the arrows are together, mm. and we talk about how we want faith, hope, and love together, where our love is actually going to be how we see through the lens of our eyes. Mm. Our faith is our anchor that we put our finger up to draw that arrow back, and then Hope is that aiming point at the end. Awesome. Uh, well, you know, you, you've, you started this, and you talked about Shan um, and how y'all kind of partnered with this at the beginning. Who, who are some other folks that have, you know, volunteered with you, big, big people you want to shout out <laughs> uh, from our church and even from outside? Well, I, I've got some members here. The David <laughs> Abbott, who helps me set up in the afternoon. Uh, Chris Wilmore uh, from here has been with me for a very long time, ever since his kids were young. Yeah. Um, just recently, J.D. Morgan has uh, came on with us last year. Rob Antwine and his daughter-in-law, Carolyn, uh, were working with us last year. And then outside of our congregation, 
uh, we couldn't do this. We've grown some of our own in the last 10 years. A lady named Erica Thornton brought her fourth grade girl the very first year, and now she's a coach wow. with us, and her daughter's already in college. Yeah. Uh, David Cross, a close friend of mine who's been with me ever since I started at Boyd Buchanan, and he doesn't work on Tuesdays so that he can be here. This is, this is his work with me. Rick Sweeter, Eric Sweeter have been with me for a long time. Uh, Leanne Blocker, Sarah Lane, Liz Woodard, Christy Murray, Lucinda Owenby, many names that you don't know, uh, and a whole lot more uh, that go with me through this process and coach our children. And it's, it's even an opportunity for the adults to come in and hear about the story of Jesus, right? Yes, sir. We, uh, several years ago, we decided to open up a 6.30 session to, so that people who are adults could come and participate also. Uh, that has grown, um, but not only do we reach those, those people and the children, but we have all the parents who sit up in the balcony. Yeah. Uh, my voice sort of carries when I teach, and so everybody in the balcony gets to hear it. So it's not only these 114 people, but all the people that drive their kids to there and they're setting up in the audience. Yeah. That's so awesome. we're probably reaching an easy 250 um, every week. Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. So uh, maybe tell us what, what's been a great blessing that, that you've experienced through, through all this. I know there's countless, uh, but maybe talk about one or two. One or two. Okay. Or three. <laughs> he said three. Uh-oh. All right. That's my bad. <laughs> I put the notes down, did you notice that? <laughs> I could talk to you about how a parent would come up to me after archery in tears and say thank you for telling my child about Jesus. I can tell you about the coaches during COVID when we found out that a brother and sister of our archers, one who had already aged out, he was 18 and whatnot, but their mother had died, and she was one of my first archers, and this family was close. And the mother had died, leaving them alone, mm -hmm. and he ended up being the guardian. And they have no money to bury her. Mm -hmm. And the coaches unanimously said, we'll take the funds out of our archery program, and we'll pay for the funeral. Mm -hmm. those, those were great. Yeah. But the one that sticks out in my mind is when I had a little boy that come in for the very first time and I didn't recognize him and I thought, man, I, I don't. I... So I go down and I get down on my knee and I said, man, I just can't remember your name because it was the first day and there's a lot of new students and he tells me his first name. And I go, I think I should know this boy. I can't, I said, well, tell me your last name. And he doesn't say anything. So on my mind, I'm thinking, okay, there must be a learning disability. There must be something going on. And up in the balcony, I hear a lady says, he's confused about what last name to give you mm. because he's my foster child. And we're in the process of trying to figure out how to adopt him. So I knew there was a story so I sent him with some of our coaches and, and, and said, work with him, he's brand new. And I walked upstairs and this foster mother says, uh, uh, 
I, I brought, I heard about him at a riding ring up in, a horse riding ring up in Cleveland. How she found out about it from up there, I don't know. We don't advertise at all. And she says, I have this foster boy and I need him to be, have as many role, good role models as possible. And I heard about what you do here. And she says, the only men he has ever known in his entire life have always done drugs. Mm. And I need him to see that there's other men out there. And what happened is I said, look down there right now. And she looks over the balcony and she sees her boy surrounded by three men. Chris Wilmore, Rick Sweeter, and David Cross. And I told her, I can't think of any better example and role model than those three men to take care of your child. Well, I'm going to ask you this because you're on the verge of tears just to get you all the way through. Why, why do you do this? <laughs> why do you still do this? I wouldn't work this hard for money. <laughs> um, we need to bring the message we need to tell people about Jesus and if we're not doing that this is just a social club mm. we're not here to, to, to drink coffee and eat donuts and, 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 and tell each other about our week we're here to bring each other up and say Help me teach someone else about Jesus. And I could have taken another job when I retired, but this, this is much more important. Yeah. And um, I had to find, figure out a way because the Jules Miller film strips don't work anymore. <laughs> uh, sitting and just reading the King James Version Bible out loud doesn't work anymore. The flip charts and the flannelgrams don't work anymore. But I saw how this impacted kids, and if I can get them to come in to shoot, then I can tell them about Jesus. And if I can just get them in the door, I can tell them and I can tell their mamas and daddies about Jesus. That's awesome. Amen, Kevin. Uh, well, how, how can we support you? How can we get involved in our archery club? <laughs> Ooh, that's a big list. <laughs> You're getting that paperback. <laughs> I've narrowed this down for you. We're running out of room. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a room uh, that I thought was pretty big when they first gave it to me at the church because uh, we used to run it out of the back end of my pickup truck. And my mom's um, trailer she bought me just so that she could bring an organ back from the yard sale. But I used the trailer for storage. Some of you know that got stolen last year. Um, but we're running out of room. That room looks like a small medieval armory. Uh, we have no problem. We don't need to worry about security here. Uh, the church does supply us with the gym, the utilities, storage for us. Um, Sean with the website help. Boy, he's worked himself to death on this this year. Kimberly helping me keep up with the finances. Catherine and Brittany helping me do the stuff in the office that I need to get done. Um, but here's what I need. 
We need people who will take time to build a relationship with our participants. Come and hang out with our parents who are upstairs or the foster moms and dads who are bringing their kids to us and mentor and share some time with them and just sit down with them and talk with them. We need people to help us repair arrows. <laughs> uh, we go through a lot of arrows. Help me write some lesson plans. Lead a short lesson with me. Help me make some of the materials that are going on. I need coaches. I need coaches. We have 14 right now that worked with us last year. We're adding a whole new group. We're going to, I'll be here for six hours on Tuesdays. We need more coaches to relieve that pressure. I know I have lots of people come up and ask me, do you need some money? I, I can use the money. We only charge $20 for the whole year for these kids. So what will we get? We'll get about $2,000 this year. I just ordered $1,400 worth of equipment last week. Uh, and I'm sure the money will come from somewhere. Uh, I don't know how the money gets. There's money that's going into there. It's not coming from the church. It's coming from individuals who just donate. Yeah. Um, I just tell them, go see Kimberly. And, and there's money in the account. She, I called her up last week. I said, do I got any money? And she <laughs> says yes, and I went and spent it. Um, there's, right. there, we have Kimberly's the accountant and she tells me if I have enough to go spend on it and that's when I don't have any money I go and fundraise yeah. but uh, lots of ways lots of ways Yeah. well thank you Kevin let's give Kevin a, a hand thank you for hey it's, it's simple guys there, there's so many ways uh, to, to just love people here uh, whether you're involved with Snack Packs or a New Beginnings House or a Transformation Project or Archery Club, all that is needed is compassion. All that is needed is to see someone and have compassion over them. And, and the Lord will figure the rest out. Uh, we serve a God who speaks words and things happen. Do you not think he can work with you and work through you, through your compassion? That's all we need. That's all we need this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you for Kevin and the other volunteers who are speaking your gospel into the lives of these kids and their families. Will you continue to bless him, bless that ministry, help it grow into something uh, amazing and big so that so many people can come and see and experience you. I thank you so much for this family. May we be stirred and encouraged this morning to go and show compassion and actively partner with you to bring the kingdom. It's your name that we pray. Amen.